Hey everybody, this is Sean King with my Youth on Record. Today we're interviewing Oscar Davy, aka Opio. Hope you enjoy. I've been to see a band when I was about a bunch younger called Supergroove, um, which were a New Zealand band. And I was probably too young to be there, and I was sitting on the stairs at the back and, and watching. My parents were there, and, and it was like full power rock funk craziness. And that was like probably musically a ch- changing moment. But then fast forward to the gathering, it was to see electronic music with like one person um, have that much power and impact on such a big dance floor. It was really cool. Welcome to My Youth on Record, a podcast where musicians share the music they created as teens and the stories behind their songs. My name is Mona, and I'm super excited to be joining Sean King as your co-host for another season of My Youth on Record. Oscar, a.k.a. Opio, is an electronic producer who grew up in the beautiful country of New Zealand and has become a well-known artist with a fan base that spans far beyond his homeland. During his tour through the States, he took the time to chat with us about how he's developed over the years, starting with the incredible opportunity to witness music festivals on his parents' land. We're sitting here with Opio, and I want to say welcome to Oscar Davy Rate and welcome to Mona, my co-host today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, all right. Well, I thought maybe um, we could just jump around and, and, you know, get into some of the things that we're curious about in this podcast, which always goes back to, like, the beginning times of what you created at an early age, how you found the confidence to do that. And reading a little bit about you, I noticed you had a design background. Mm-hmm. And what what did you feel was, like, the big transition from design to music? Um, For me, I think the design background was a really good way to have a creative outlet and a focus and a way to be specific in my own way about things um, creatively, but it kind of allowed me to never put too much pressure on myself to be a musician or to be successful with this thing that I loved, like more than anything else at the time. but design was this other outlet and I could earn money from it and I could, I could live off it. Um, I studied for six months at university and then got a, a job at a landscape architecture firm working for my auntie who had this company and I was doing their graphic design for two years. And it allowed me to have music as my hobby and always kind of was my dream. But it was another creative outlet that just it could you know feed me and do that kind of thing. And the transition was just me continually doing music, continually making music, starting to play some of my music in my DJ sets at the time. Um, but, yeah, it sort of allowed less pressure, which I think was really important. Um, how did you get into music? What's your first relationship connecting to music? <laughs> um, when I was very little, my parents um, just had music on all the time, but it was more they'd be at parties and I'd be at the parties and and festivals and at a very young age um, I would jam with their friends who were in bands on their drums and 
from like two years old, I'm told. And uh, going to festivals from when I was sort of five, six that were on their land and uh, seeing it from that side, not necessarily the creative creation side, just the enjoyment side, which was, I think, really special. Um, gave me a, an insight into the window of the, the culture, which is really cool. So your parents were pro- producers of festivals? Provi- um, providers of the land. Okay. Yeah, and, and people who just loved but they, they were already they were already huge music fans and yeah. and that was something they festivals was something that they wanted to get into. Um, I mean, they used to have parties at home and then they, they got a piece of land when I was really young and they'd have parties there and they just kind of grew and then their friends wanted to put on festivals on their land and they did and then their friends of friends did so it sort of grew and then got to a certain size where it was probably going to get too big and then that moved and some of the people. You know, moved on to different festivals and became ones that were pretty big in the late nineties in New Zealand. Yeah. So then, so coming up in in high school, were you, were you already DJing in high school? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I started the same thing. It was like I remember my mum's birthday one year. They had this party in a barn that we had, and I DJed and played all every song on the probably five trance CDs that I had. Yeah, through some CDJs that their friend had that I just learned how to use. I was probably 13 or 14. And uh, that year I think I played at like the Bear Festival in the local town and things like that, um, which was awesome. And that's wild. I can't, yeah. imagine, I can't <laughs> imagine being like the life of the party, 13, 14. Was that – did that get tricky? Did it get, did it get tricky to understand like your role as teenager no. in relation to parents, I in guess relation more- to adults? No, I mean, I, I mean, it was just their friends. I'd been around it, you know, around really awesome, cool, loving, friendly people in that reality that whole time. So it was, um, yeah, I, I don't think it was a big transition into it. It was kind of like normal. I guess, you know, I, I'm guessing with that age, 13, 14, but, yeah, it was when I was sort of only a couple of years in high school kind of thing. Did, yeah. you, did you always feel like you had hip parents? Like <laughs> You don't know at the time. But as I grew, you know, they, they're amazing people and some of my best friends and some of my friends are really good friends too. So it's, it's a nice way to remove that child-parent kind of separation, you know. I think that's really important and it gives your children a lot of confidence in, in who they are because the, we're all the same, you know. Yeah, that's beautiful. Mm. I could really relate to that. My mom mm. took me to like jazz in the park we have here in Denver and um, just wanted me to be with her in the scene. And mm. I, I could definitely see how that influenced me and just totally. like, wow, this creative culture. Yeah. Were there any parts of the culture that were not always peace and love and good vibrations that you witnessed as a young person? No, I mean, sure, there'd be people getting too drunk or something like that, but no. I really didn't have any experiences like that, no, when I was younger. And I was really lucky. Yeah. Yeah, that is wild. I mean, it's a great story. I, I think it's I think it's cool that you have such a great relationship with your parents and, and how they were influential and they were also super supportive. Mm. Now, when you decided to make that move and I understand took a definitive moment to say, I'm now I'm actually gonna go for music. They were supportive in that decision. Yeah. And what did that look like? <laughs> well, actually, the the biggest thing they did for me when I was living in Melbourne, I'd been there for maybe a year or two, probably two years, 
and I was working in an outdoor clothing shop, I think, and I was starting to play more and more and taking it more seriously, I guess, um, which I didn't wasn't a very serious person, still not really, but I really felt like I needed to, I wanted to concentrate on it more and more. And I borrowed like, I think it was like $9,000 from them because I wanted to really stop working. And maybe a year later, I paid them back with the money I'd made from music. And that was a really cool moment, um, a big moment. Can you talk about the days within that year? Like, what did that feel like? I mean, it must have been a little nerve-wracking in the beginning. Yeah, I mean, it still is. <laughs> you know, it's it's a interesting thing to do with your life. It's really empowering and, and terrifying and everything. So that year would have been... Um, probably really fun, I think. I think I still treated music like my really fun outlet. And I would just go to festivals and play wherever I could, play warehouse parties, play um, Sunday sessions at like a outdoor area of a bar or whatever it was that could get me through. Um, and just really wanted to spread what I was doing. I was having a lot of fun doing it. Um, and because that pressure thing, I think, that I hadn't had at the start didn't really exist yet, you know. It was still just a really fun thing to do. Going back to what you said about knowing design and having that as a backup, would it have been much different if you hadn't had that, you think? Probably. Yeah, I still, just thinking about it now, I sort of do remember the feeling of, in the back of my mind, I'd already sort of been eyeing out the design firms that are around or you know, meeting people that were doing architecture or design and talking to them about it and stuff just as a, an interest in a background and, you know, I think it probably did play a role in me feeling okay about diving into this, but I also thought if it wasn't design, it would be something else, you know. How, how old were you during that year of just pure music dedication? Probably 22, 23, maybe. It's pretty clear that Opio has a great appreciation for the people in his life. With the support of his family and friends and the rush of connecting with an audience, his choice to become a professional musician became clear. So bringing us into this high school space, I'm wondering if you had any really strong influences, whether it's other young people that were making music or the people in the your parents community mm-hmm. that really inspired you during yeah that i mean by that point most of the high school i'd sort of already built my own friendship group that were going to festivals too and um they were some of my biggest inspiration because i'd make a song and play it to them and you know i'd only make one or two a year but just being able to play my music to my friends was probably the biggest inspiration and seeing them enjoy it you know Um, And most of what I was making was really down-tempo and groovy kind of dub music and things like that. Um, And, yeah, high school I had had, um, drum lessons and and, um, I think I got the music prize for the year for doing drums one year. And, and, you know, it was a good boost. Um, And I'd play drums in in the talent quest and do things like that. It It was all, yeah, a lot of fun. But I think my friends were really, really inspiring at that time. So during so you have that you got like the support from your friends, you got the support from your parents, and at what point did you feel like there was a little bit of a shift? You know, you mentioned that making music can be terrifying. Mm-hmm. What 
was a moment where that started to come in where you kind of realized, okay, this is actually very real? <laughs> Not till probably a year or two. I mean, only kind of recently as well, you know. Like it's a really funny ride that you forget that what you're doing, sometimes you forget that it is is powerful and it can impact people and it can, you know, change people's lives and things like that. And it's not something you want to think about too much because it's slightly daunting. But um, the reality of it was, yeah, I guess a couple of years after that year of just focusing on it, I was still just having a lot of fun. And um, I think that moment of paying my parents back was a big moment of like, I can do this, you know. It was very real. Yeah. You you seem to have a lot of gratitude for for where you're at and and – have like a pretty realistic view about it uh was there ever a moment where there was like doubt of like maybe this maybe this was a bad choice maybe this no not at all i mean i've maybe i'm i'm blessed with that mindset but i i really feel like this is what i'm doing now and, and i'm stoked and i'm more just happy that people like what i do um and i'm not trying to follow a trend i'm just doing what i really enjoy and what i love and Sometimes it probably takes longer to get somewhere by doing that and sometimes it doesn't. But I feel like, yeah, there's when this is done, um, I'll do something else, you know, and, and that might not be forever. It's, it's crazy. I actually should mention I've had uh, major air surgery on my left ear for most of my life and I'm mostly deaf in one side. And I think that's given me a an ability to see that this isn't all forever and there's, you know... Uh, restrictions on pe- on everyone you know everyone has their own story and their own problems and I can just do it now and I'll do it as much as I can and and then there's next where does that where does that feeling of like uh large scope view come from are your parents like that or did you feel like you just kind of came up with that I guess it's just me yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I'm working on a song I'm, I can't think about anything else and I can't even have a conversation with someone for most of that day you know I just I put everything I can into what I'm doing and put everything I can into the music I make, the shows I play, you know, um, I, I take pride in it all. But, yeah, there's a, it's, it is really good to step back for sure. Mm. And I think that can help the, the creation side. Take us back to, like, one of your first festivals. Like, I mean, the first one that changed me big time um, was in 99 New Year's Eve into the 2000. It was a festival called The Gathering and it was on top of a mountain range in New Zealand and I guess I would have been like 14 or 15 probably Um, and seeing a big festival go off and the music, how powerful it was and how loud and and epic electronic music could be too because I'd seen a lot of live music but electronic music was, was big and it unfortunately it rained and a lot of people got hypothermia and it was a crazy crazy thing so I also saw that side but before that it was like just to see the the epicness of you know I guess that was a transition too from I'd been to see a, a band when I was about a bunch younger called Supergroove um, which were a New Zealand band and I was probably too young to be there and I was sitting on the stairs at the back and and watching my parents were there and and it was like full power rock funk craziness and that was like probably musically a changing moment but then fast forward to the gathering was to see electronic music with like one person um have that much power and impact on such a big dance floor it was really cool 
Yeah, and it's amazing too how I think bands can do something, and yet a lot of electronic producers understand understand the venue that they're put in. They understand the whole system that they're working with, and yeah. sometimes just like the subs that can actually physically move people, mm-hmm. uh, it has a huge impact. Did it feel like organized chaos that? That one that was like 99 to 2000, you were saying? Was it a New Year's show or a New Year's festival? It was a New Year's festival, Got yeah, it. yeah. So it was a really forward-thinking um, thing. It was like, I think it was like eight to ten zones, and each zone was a different genre of music. So it was like a drum bass stage, a trance stage, house stage, hard house stage, uh, down tempo. Um, the drum bass one was also some live bands. Yeah, I guess in a way I probably didn't see the chaos until the crazy weather. But before then, it was beautiful, and it was just seeing so many really excited people was was really cool. Do you think that was the moment where you might have started to lose hearing, or was it around oh, that no, time? No, no, okay. hearing was is a is a physical problem. It wasn't necessarily a, a um, too much loud noise. No, you know they got the station tube that goes from your ear yeah. to the back. You know, so mine either didn't develop or got blocked when I was younger. And so I had lots of grommets to drain the pressure from my, my ears and that kind of settled down and then, yeah, it got left for, for too long and, and a cyst grew behind my eardrum um, because the air was blocked behind there. It got absorbed by the skin, sucked the eardrum in and where that touched the edge, it grew a cyst. It was benign, but it had to be operated on and um, it's pretty full on because your, your tongue and your face nerve run through that area. So you've got to watch that they don't... If it's going through that, you can lose use of one side of your face and it's a really intense moment of my life. Um, the, surgery, then, the surgery was an intense yeah, moment? Yeah, the whole finding out about it, having to have it, you know. Um, always had hearing problems on that side because of that problem but didn't really know it was going to be that full on. And that was right when I moved to Australia actually, yeah. And then after that major first operation came the really loud ringing and I'd have to go to sleep with white noise for like six months. Was that referred to as like tinnitus? Yeah. Or? Okay. Tinnitus, yeah. Yeah. And it was I put it down to the drugs that they gave me for the seven hour operation. Whoa. Yeah, which is a lot longer than I thought, and it's a long time to be held asleep for an operation too. So I guess the shock on your body, and sure, maybe the the sound that I had been listening to already had affected it. But I always wore earplugs when I was younger too. I think it was majorly a, a, a operational thing. Was there any prognosis like you might not have hear- hearing? Yeah, after that was this always point? always a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a major one years later that actually they've moved my eardrum, removed one of my hearing bones, and now I have no middle ear because they have to be able to see in to make sure it's not growing back. So maybe oh. this has given me the big world view because it's like not a really easy thing to have to deal with if you really want to do music. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's kind of helped shape that. Yeah, I see it as a a blessing, not a curse. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a fun life to live. And how has that made your experience as an artist different? Probably for exactly that. Like, I I don't take it for granted in that way. And also, it is what it is, you know. I, I can't control things like that. Maybe having something that isn't quite working pushes you to just use what you got as well. Um, and I'm kind of... I feel like if I had perfect hearing and everything was perfect and I don't know, maybe I wouldn't be doing how I do it or what I do, you know. Who knows? (laughs) To close out our chat, 
Opio recalls monumental moments of impact in his musical career and personal life. Enjoy. You said about some of your productions that it's less it's less important to think about the music theory or the actual notes, but responding to things that are hitting you like viscerally, kind of like yeah. re- reacting to things that you enjoy, don't enjoy. You want to talk a little bit about that process and like how, how that became part of your writing style? I guess it came from from finding the confidence that what I was doing when I truly switched myself off from the world and wasn't trying to do something that I'd heard, I just went and made music. And then seeing the reaction that had on <clears throat> audiences early on when I was only playing one or two of my songs at the start of my set and getting a bigger reaction from that. And I had I had no idea what key the song was in and what notes were doing what, um, but it felt good. And that might come down to the same thing with my hearing. Sometimes I don't know that it's sounding perfect, um, but it feels good. And I guess that can help with some freedom just to do what you like. I'm wondering if, like, the high school Oscar would look at 2019 OPO and be surprised by sure. by what OPO is doing in 2019. What would you say to that? Absolutely. Yeah, I'd always dreamed of the doing this thing and it's still really, I still pinch myself, like, a lot that I am doing this, you know. This is something that I looked at and a lot of people I know look at and people around the world look at as something, you know, the dream. Um, I'll never take it for granted and I, I it, it just happens. But it happens in your own way. It just never happens in the same as someone else, you know, as much as you can push for it. So, yeah, I mean, I still, yeah, I can't believe it, still. So let's see here. You had a wonderful show at Red Rocks and you, you actually conducted for the first time. Can you tell us a little bit about that? It was like, that was a big dream. Like, I, I went to saw an orchestra when I first went to Melbourne. I think it was the first one I saw. They did a superhero theme. And um, at one point I was so blissed out and I actually kind of fell asleep and woke up in the middle of like another movement, not fully asleep but just totally lost in it. And I'd never had a music experience like that. So just thinking it would be cool to do, never dreamt that I'd actually do it. Um, and when I got offered to do a Red Rock show, I just straight away was like, I want to do an orchestra. My management were like, it's going to be expensive and, and quite the mission, I hope you realise. And I was like, absolutely, let's do it, you know. Spent more than I earned to the show and did it how I wanted and had, did a bit of research into how other people had done it, but I didn't want to do it the same. Just wanted to figure out a way to do it my way and, and um, spent six months doing nothing else and learnt how to conduct from our good friend Tom the day before. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. We would like to maybe get some advice for some of our younger listeners, especially the DIY types. What would you, because you're clearly a DIY mm. uh, success story, what would you say is uh, one thing to be thinking about as you're trying to create, write, produce, sing your own music? Um. It's a really hard one because, you know, I, I would always like to say do do you and, and do as much of you as you can and, and really really let that shine because there's there's a lot of us here and we're not none of us are the same. Um, so there's no point sounding the same. Um, be inspired by a lot around you, but really try and put your spin on it. And it might take a long time to find and it might not be the successful thing you have, but there's a satisfaction 
in knowing that you did it. And I always think of, you know, people have other people write their music and things like that. I feel like there's, it's fine if you want to do it. That's cool. It's your choice. But I think deep down later on you'll know that that was your choice and, and just having that pride in doing something that's truly you and you know where it came from um, lasts longer than any success, I think. I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, what excites you about new music that's coming out? And along with that, what excites you about seeing young people creating super phenomenal pieces of music? Music is um, it's really interesting because I think at no point are we truly ever moving backwards. Like there's always something new. Um, and whether we realise it at the time or not, you know, there's people grab what they grew up on and turn it into something that's them and, and that's the most exciting thing about the youthful generation at any time really pushing it because it's up to them, you know, and there's been many a times in my life seeing things that I just never thought would work together or, you know, or I just hadn't heard in that way and there's someone there just that's how they <clears throat> interpreted that reality and or their own reality and that's incredibly exciting and then it inspires me, you know, and then I go do my thing as well. So I think people, you know, should never forget that they're always inspiring someone at every moment, you know, just living too. You just really are. So then when you make music and you do something, whatever it is, you'll be inspiring someone somewhere and, um, yeah, music's like an incredible outlet but also an incredible almost like religion for humanity. So, yeah, you should treat it like that. But not take it too seriously. <laughs> <laughs> not take it too serious. I mean, I think that might be a great great place to end. Um, well, thank you, Oscar. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, on behalf of myself, Youth on Record, Mona, it's lovely to have you here. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. My Youth on Record is proudly brought to you by Youth on Record, a Colorado nonprofit organization where local teens are empowered to find their voice and value by working with local musicians as their educators. Teens in Youth on Record's programs are working to be both the next generation of creatives as well as community leaders. They do this through music, poetry, and storytelling. My Youth on Record is one of their newest programs. Learn more at www.youthonrecord.org. A big shout out to Oso Motley for our theme music this season. They came to the studio in Denver, jammed with some of the Youth on Record students, and we couldn't be happier. Thanks so much. 